Hey, brother, can you hear me? Your audio, your audio is not good. <laughs> I don't know if I'm coming through. Just fine. Uh, so, can you hear me, Jack? I hear you now. Uh, yes. Um, so. I think you may have been muted through the uh, YouTube part. Yeah, yeah. He can hear Jack. Microphone. <laughs> How about this? Does Hey, can you hear me? Good. Okay, so I'm good. I, I'm going to leave this all in the show, right? So this doesn't bother me at all. I'm not OCD perfectionist. Can everybody hear me? So I'm going to start with a quick plug. Jack, go ahead and mute yourself. I'm still doing the introduction. Beautiful. No, no offense. So this is the Provocate Patreon care package. It's free this month. I'm sending it to one lucky fan. Um, comes with a piece of art from a local artist. Comes with this package, Butterfly Magnets, hashtag MKUltra. Comes with old school Provocid stickers. All right. Comes with a geode. Comes with a geode. And it comes with, if you could see this inside, two ProvoKid personally tie-dyed hoodies. So if you want to support ProvoKid, head to Patreon, buy a care package, uh, and support me. I'm glad we had this little bit of a disruption in life because a lot of people are perfectionists and they need everything to go correctly and they might restart and do things over, but... That's not how I do this, right? I do this raw. It's authentic. I make mistakes. I am wrong. I don't know how to do things correctly. And that's just how I live my life, okay? So there's a Patreon care package. If you're interested in that, right, go to my Patreon, pay $1 to subscribe. You can pay more if you really want to support me. And just let me know. I'm, I'm actually going to open it up to if you want one, I'll make one for you and I'm going to do it every live stream. So I'm going to do, I'm going to open up the background here and I'm going to tie dye live. So uh, that's just how that goes. And now we're going to get back to the core of the show, which is Jack Talcott, my next guest. My next guest has uh, a rapidly growing audience, uh, an amazing perspective on life. And he's, he's actually one of the unique individuals in this world who believes in a better future. There's a lot of people now in this world who are negative Nancy's, doom and gloom. Some people say black pill. I don't like the word black pill, but Jack is here. His name's Jack Talcott. I'll put his links in the Spotify, YouTube uh, list if you want to go find his YouTube channel. And uh, with that, I'm going to open the floor to Jack Talcott to introduce himself and say anything he'd like to um, say. Jack, floor is yours. <laughs> Well, blessings. What a wonderful introduction. And I am a man much like you, just kind of figuring things out as we as we go through this life thing. Um, what you offered is is real. I'm I'm a man who I do. I've got great hopes and inspirations for the future. Despite all humanity's ugliness, I've still got a lot of faith in us all. So where do we go? Where do you, you want to know? You tell man? people how to find you right now. Oh, yes. Um, 
regularly on YouTube under uh, at Jack Talcott. And uh, for a long while now, the pattern, the format has been open panel discussions um, where we discuss a lot of different varieties. I like to have topics regarding consciousness, uh, spirituality, love, um, and oh yeah, lots of things, goals, and of course, peace for the future. I love that, Jack. And I've been a big fan of yours for a while. And one theme I've noticed with you is you would like to bring more peace and uh, joy to the world. What are some of your ideas on maybe how to bring that into being or your conversations in your show? What are some conversations you might have that uh, bring that into possibility? And uh, for example, I've seen your shows about gratitude, acceptance, and yes. forgiveness. So based on some of those ideas, uh, what are your thoughts? I, what I found for myself, you know, the old adages from the ancient philosophies and through all the religions, what the real underlying messages are is compassion and love, love unconditional love. There's a theme within all of the, the, the teachings. What I found for myself is my life started improving dramatically. Um, not necessarily externally, but it certainly did transform externally. My inner state of being started transforming when I became more conscious and aware, eliminating excuses and blame. And when I started becoming more focused on simply being accurate and truthful with my words. It started to show in my choices and in my, my behaviors. And that's the solution I see for the world. When our world no longer allows us and our leaders in the governments and corporations, when we no longer allow people in positions of influence or authority to to rule or to 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 run their their organizations their countries with excuses and blame leadership you know what it goes to the top so i think if we didn't have if we didn't have so much excuses and blame the corruption in our governments and corporations would end. And the best way to end the corruption is for the lies to become exposed, right? <laughs> Certainly. And I think what you're saying is resonates with a lot of Americans, people across the world, and because they see the corruption, they see the things that are seeping to the top of our, uh, I'd say, executive order branch or all these things and they're displeased, right? And they're displeasured. Um, and my pushback on that with you is something we discussed a little bit earlier, uh, which is an author, an essayist named William Hazlitt. Um, yes. And I'll just read this. Uh, it's from Google. He has an essay, which was one of my essays I've read that changed my view on the, the idea of hating. Because I grew up with a father who told me never to use the word hate. 
Hate is such a strong word. You really shouldn't hate anything or anybody. Um, so I carried that throughout most of my life and I, I tried not to hate anything or anybody. Um, and that's always difficult, right? Uh, but I'll, I'll share this brief excerpt, which is from uh, William Hazlitt on the pleasures of hating. It says, uh, William Hazlitt asserts that people need to have something to hate, to feel disgust for, to feel bigotry towards, and to overall have something other than the bland pool of neutrality to keep themselves entertained without a real meaning as to why they feel that need to respond to any other being that way. Uh, Hazlitt contextualizes it through evolution, religion, and law. Um, so do you find that there's any value to hating Jack or is there any pleasure to hating? Because a lot of your messages and your points of view are love and light, which uh, on my front end, I'm in full agreement with. I believe we need more love. We need more light. And there is plenty of hate in this world, right? Uh, but what are your thoughts on what I just put down? I love it. It's interesting. You've definitely lived a different path than me. <clears throat> because um, without it being said, I think I was raised with the mindset of learning what was right and who was wrong. And it was good to hate those who were wrong. And so I hate is what kept me warm at night, man. <laughs> I know the power. And, and I think your question is, what is the benefit of hate? There is a benefit and it, it's, it's a primitive part within us. Um, and there certainly are logical reasons for us to judge and to even feel repulsed and that conviction of, of hate. But hate is not who we really are. Um, hate is often, um, it's a symptom of confusion and hate surfaces from our insecurities, from our fears and our lack. It's a, it's something the world has been, we've been conditioned. Hate and fear are very profitable. They drive wars, right? They certainly do. And um, I think I need to maybe read an expert uh, excerpt from the first paragraph of this essay, because your Please. idea of conditioning and hate is a little bit different than I think William Hazlitt approaches the topic. Uh, so I'll start the essay with these quotes, right? So there's a spider crawling along the matted floor of the room where I sit, not the one which has been so well uh, allegorized in the admirable lines to a spider, but another of the same edifying breed. This spider, he runs with heedless, hurried haste. He hobbles awkwardly towards me. He stops. He sees the giant shadow before him and, at a loss, whether to retreat or proceed, meditates his huge foe. But as I do not start up and seize upon the straggling cat, uh, caitiff, uh, as he would upon a hapless fly within his tolls, he takes heart and ventures on with mingled cunning, impudence, and fear. 
As he passes me, I lift up the matting to assist his escape and am glad to get rid of the unwelcome intruder and shudder at the recollection after he is gone. A child, a woman, a clown, or a moralist a century ago would have crushed the little reptile to death. My philosophy has got beyond that. I bear the creature no ill will, but I still hate the very sight of it. The spirit of malevolence survives the practical exertion of it. We learn to curb our will and keep our overt actions within the bounds of humanity long before we can subdue our sentiments and imaginations to the same mild tone. We give up the external demonstration, uh, the brute violence, but cannot part with the essence of principle of hostility. We do not tread upon the poor little animal in question that seems barbarous and pitiful, but we regard it with a sort of mystic horror and superstitious loathing. I, uh, excuse me, it will ask another hundred years of fine writing and hard thinking to cure us of the prejudice and make us feel towards this ill almond tribe with something of the milk of human kindness instead of their own shyness venom. Uh, did any of what I said resonate or make sense to our topic at hand? I think so. What I got is that um, actually he observed something that may may really have a deep truth that we our self-control first starts with our actions, but then being able to overcome those reactions within our mind is another thing. And I think what he's suggesting is that there's within us a conditioning um, that's natural to hate. Certainly. I believe that's the part of we can, I believe even in the mind and spirit, we can even overcome the hate. This is what, it's what I've heard. And I've been, I imagine that this is what I have been doing, but you know, I've been kind of blessed and I haven't experienced a lot of things that other people have. So I'm of the belief that we can overcome our hate because the hate is a judgment based on our, our perspective. And if we can overcome the hate, actually, if we can recognize the simple truth, it is fine to hate. It's fine to dislike but it's not fine for our hate and our dislike to become who we are. Mm. How's that? That's well put. And uh, I agree. I agree with that sentiment uh, quite a bit. Um, And from my perspective on that uh, short paragraph, I'd, I'd say that hate is inescapable as a human, right? It's, uh, just like love is inescapable, we are all endeared to these emotions, um, and it's how we manage these emotions is what makes us human. And uh, you know, I'd I'd love for everybody to have love and light in their hearts, but I'm also aware and understanding of the fact that people have hate in their heart. And I think if we're more open and accepting the fact that people do have hate, and it's okay to hate. Um, 
then we can work with that hate and manage it and manipulate it into something that isn't malevolent, right? Hate doesn't have to be malevolent or, or uh, and dangerous to other people. Uh, it can just be a part of you that you feel, but you don't act on or even feel some sort of, uh, how would you put it, uh, connection with, right? Um, it's okay to hate. It's okay to dislike things, but it doesn't have to define you or your, your being. What are your thoughts, brother? I think you're spot on. The Not just with hate, but we each individually, we get to determine what we like, what we love, what we hate. And just because we identify something that we hate, it doesn't mean that we have to be connected to that. That doesn't have to be a part of our life necessarily. Um, it's all in our, what I've been learning, there is a time and a place for love and hate, for fear, for whatever, for surprise, all of these things, you're right. We can't escape them. Um, but I think a true master, you know, a, a, a good man or woman is one who is the master of their emotions, of their own state of being. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think hate is like a fire in your heart and you need to temper that fire. So if, for example, people are taking away your rights, liberties, and freedoms, we know somebody who uses those words, uh, you might want to, you know, not control that fire, but actually exude it and bring it to a brighter flame to help other people see that there's something wrong in society. You should hate when people take your right to gather at a, uh, a at a Sunday church, which is what happened recently in my lifetime and yours. And I think there is a good portion of our values and systems and personal abilities to use hate as uh, a force for good, right? You should hate when people try to take away your personal rights and freedoms. Um, you shouldn't approach the topic with love and kindness. It should be a fire that you want to stoke. And when you don't control that fire, it can burn people in ways or burn things in ways that aren't beneficial. So it's it's should be your priority to control that fire, to temper it until it is necessary to use it for a benevolent purpose. Your thoughts? I think that's very well said. I mean, especially if I'm following you right. Um, being able to temper the hate, to, but to still use that as a drive. Because I, I agree. I think there should be more hate at some of the violence that's being offered. Um, I think there should be more hate at some of the injustices that are being imposed. But I don't want people to feel the hate. I want them to know that it's love that is driving our hate. We we hate because we care. Yep. And and the word hate has garnered uh, due to I would say Eastern philosophical thoughts uh, a negative connotation. But the reality is, hate is a natural aspect of humanity, right? So just like the quote earlier with William Hazlitt, there's a reason humans hate spiders. Spiders kill your offspring. 
you have a black widow in your tent and you're a native American Indian. If you don't hate that spider and try to kill it, it's going to perhaps injure your child and uh, reduce your potential for further offspring, right? So hate actually is one of the most powerful tools in, I would argue, keeping humanity alive, right? So you have to hate things that are going to hurt you. Um, you can't love, un you can't love everything, right? And if you're a deluded person who thinks hate has no place, uh, I think you are misguided, right? So hate is necessary. You need to hate evil, right? Because there is evil, right? So people right. hate hated the Holocaust, right? And they put an end to it, right? If they were neutral to it or loving to the Holocaust, it would have kept going, right? But somebody needed to hate genocide to end genocide. That's the reality of the situation. Uh, do you agree, contend, disagree? What are, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, you're pressing me, or I've got to press back on you, against you. That's why we're here, brother. Right. Um, yes, there is a place for hate. There is a place for fear. I mean, that's hate and fear. I see them intertwined. They go together. And with the live without fear as the message, I get a lot of people pressing back saying, no, there's a place for fear. And there is. But I think you nailed it, Provo, when you said you, you, you temper it. You don't allow, even though the hate may be right, right now. But if the time to act is not right now, we look foolish, you know, or we cause damages. But if we can temper the energy with the awareness, you know, timing is everything. That's what I'm learning for myself. Uh, I agree with that contention and that pushback, uh, Mr. Talcott. Um, let's transition to a new segment here. We're about a half hour in. Um, so we talked about hate for, I'd say, 15 minutes. And I'd like to discuss, uh, I'll, I'll hand it to you, um, any topic that you've discussed in your show recently that uh, you felt as though might deserve more time uh, or awareness. Uh, I'd like to entertain that. Wow, I appreciate that. My topics, every every topic I bring up, they're all kind of interconnected in different ways. Because my end goal, my end belief here, I'm wearing my Veterans for Peace again. Love it. That is, that is my purpose. And I know that a world of peace, a world can be transformed. The wars can end and the debts can be forgiven. And the world can actually become renewed when, when the masses, when we, brothers and sisters, all of us alive, when we start open our minds to greater things. We stop letting the small little distracting problems consume us. When we start focusing on actually living life and growing and cooperating. And if we can, if we, more of us can embrace life as an adventure together. Well, I think that's how we'll win the game. <laughs> so, uh, just to kind of summarize your thoughts, it's a collective embrace that you'd like to see more people engage in. Is that correct? 
I think so. So the best, go ahead. The best way I see for people to unite, to join together um, with more clear purposes is if each of us individually, we start doing the work on ourselves, going within to try and overcome, <laughs> overcome some of our fears or hates, or at the very least, if we don't overcome our fears and hates, at least allow ourselves to understand them. What is it about me that wants me to hate this? What is it about me that wants me to love this or do this? Mm. I love that. And so for those who don't know, Jack Talcott's uh, catchphrase is what, Mr. Talcott? <laughs> I got a bunch of them. Praise but, God. But uh, yeah, praise God, of course. But Holy uh, cows. <laughs> do not, what is it? Do not fear or uh, what, oh, what the, live without fear. Live without fear. So, Mr. Talcott, um, I think when I think about God and Christ, uh, I come from a Mormon background, right? And my thoughts on fear, uh, as limited as they might be, is that uh, to have fear is not to have the interest of Christ or God inside of you because Christ and God knows what's best for you. So if you have fear, it's the distrust of, of God and um so you really shouldn't live with fear, right? So I, I'm full-heartedly uh, in embrace with your catchphrase, live without fear, and I, I'm a big fan of it, right? Uh, I think people should have faith in God. Um, and, you know, there are some people who might not, who, or who might be atheist or agnostic, who might not uh, resonate with that, but uh, I'd like to draw attention to, how powerful what you're saying, you know, your catchphrase is and, and your message is uh, in the sense that you're telling people to trust in God, right? And a lot of people want to, um, there's a quote that's not coming to mind and I don't want to butcher it, but essentially it's that uh, God laughs at those who make plans, right? <laughs> because he's made the plans um, and he's doing the work. And so if you have fear, then you're not in trust or in faith with God. And so I find myself in fearful positions, I'd say every day, depending on the situation or circumstances. could be a simple fear like I'm not going to be on time or yeah. somebody's not going to, I'm fearful somebody won't be well received to my message. Yeah. Um, but it's difficult to live without fear, Mr. Talcott. <laughs> Um, so what are your, like, if you could, uh, give me a bullet point, maybe one, two, three, uh, like how, what are your, some, what are, what are some of your recipes, let's say to live without fear, to overcome the fear in your personal life or your day-to-day -day life? Brother, amen. Thank you. You, you said a lot there and it was all succinct, <laughs> What my life has become um the the saying i'd i'd heard or remembered with what you were saying is we man makes plans and the gods laugh and Correct. um yeah my my life realized that <laughs> all of my plans were shifted and yet where i have found myself is today with the live without fear brand 
and what you described it, you described it so perfectly, Provo. Our fear is a distrust in God. And maybe not necessarily a distrust in God, but underlying it all, it is. Our fear is a distrust. And even after in, investing in the Live Without Fear and the brand and you know these big ideas of what to do with it, faith was not something I was strong in. And it took me a long time to realize that the way to live without fear is faith. I, I took it uh, initially just using logic and reasoning. But to answer the question, what are the tips I use? Number one, stay present. Stay focused that right now, now is the only time. It's real easy to, to waste time today, future tripping. Like you were mentioning, even the smallest little doubts can, can start creeping into our minds if we're not paying attention. So self-awareness and being present, those are the, the number one key. And then stay curious like a child. You know, allow yourself not to know and allow others not to know and allow, allow things to be different than maybe you thought they were. So if we stay curious, stay present and stay grateful because gratitude feels good it feels good to feel good <laughs> what do you think man uh be beautifully uh well said mr talcott i gotta check my audio setting to make sure i have cancel echo um i think i do all right so everything you said resonates with me a lot um, and if you could just remind me, perhaps if, if I'm if I go miss if I go astray here, um, you know, well I'm losing my train of consciousness. This is uh, a Provo Kid moment, so I'm gonna play my soundbite. Bow to your sensei. Bow to your sensei. Okay. Okay. Bow to my sensei. My sensei is Mr. Talcott here. And I lost my train of thought. So that's how this show goes, right? And I think people should embrace losing their train of thought. Uh, but I did ask you those that question of like, what do you do, Mr. Talcott, to live without fear? And I think everything you said resonates uh, pretty well with me. Um, and I try to live without fear almost every day. And I think what I, my thoughts might have been going towards was having faith, right? Uh, yeah. Having faith in the unseen and um taking you know it's 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 difficult really to believe in something that hasn't happened right so you have to believe in good things potentially happening to you and i feel like a lot of time people spend more time uh spending their lives and their thoughts in engaging in the thought practice of imagining bad things happening to them yes they will imagine why their day is going to go wrong, why this is going to ruin their day and so on and so forth. And so that's something that even I encounter, right, of like on a day to day basis. And it reminds me of a children's book, The Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Right. <laughs> and sometimes you can catch yourself in that. Right. Like this is a horrible, no good, very bad day. 
and it's just going to keep getting worse. And I think even when you entertain that thought, right, you generate more of those things. Um, and like for me personally, when I encounter those days, it's difficult for me to get out of the rut to believe that I'm going to actually maybe have a good night, right? If I've had a bad day. Um, and so my question might be to you, Mr. Talcott is when you encounter difficult times or difficult periods in your time, what are things that ground you or bring you back to a place of peace or centeredness? Thank you. Those are things I didn't really bring up. Um, logic. I use logic and reasoning. <laughs> it used to drive me nuts and logic and reasoning can bring our fears. But using the same tools, we can bring our faith. And so um, capturing the thoughts really, I heard this from a coach a long time ago. Notice what you're noticing. Pay attention to you and what is happening with you. Because as those thoughts start creeping in, you're absolutely right, Provo. Our thoughts, you know, you start out get out of bed, stumble, stub your toe, and then the day just goes downhill from there. It's real easy to get in that cycle, not just in one day, but then into a week, a month, a year, and then in a lifetime, we're just living with this. To break it, it takes the will and determination, the choice to say, you know what, I deserve better than to feel these feelings. And what I found is when I really break down my hate and my fears, if I, I play the role for myself, I'll play like a counselor and the patient together just to break down and talk through my situation and my fears. And my experience, most of the time when we actually speak aloud our fears, most of them are illogical, right? Yeah, certainly, Mr. Talcott. Um, I couldn't agree with you more, right? Uh, the, the things I fear the most are things that haven't happened or things that are imaginary. Yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> and it's the worst because I also believe in manifestation too. So mm-hmm. uh, my background... Uh, tonight has been pray ceaselessly, right? So uh, I talked about that before a little bit where I think uh, there isn't a word you utter in your mind or out loud that isn't a prayer or curse, right? I, I don't believe prayer is a time you set aside a time in your day and you engage in. I think your life and your every day you wake up is a ritual and every word you say in that ritual is a pray or a curse, So you need to be mindful of everything you say. Are you cursing yourself? Are you cursing your day? Are you praying for your day? Or are you praying uh, for your weekend or whatever it might be? And it's a difficult journey to remember that uh, it's more beneficial to, uh, and this is a new, I I wouldn't say new age, but a psychological term to reframe every thought you have into a beneficial thought or a benevolent thought that adds to, I think, a more likely positive outcome to your day. Um, and I'm in full support of trying to, I'll use the word words again, reframe 
everything you think into something that is a positive outcome. So for example, you have something negative happen to you, right? Uh, I'll use something simple like you spill some milk, right? Well, this gives you an opportunity to practice cleaning, right? Cleaning is next or cleanliness is next to godliness. We both know that. So it's always a moment for you to reframe things or to readjust your perspective to make your life a prayer, not a curse. Uh, what are your thoughts, brother? Spot on. I had, um, I did, I've, I'm glad you reminded me. I heard some of your words earlier about pray, prayer. And this is in line with what I was thinking about before. I think I said the word praise. Every word is a praise. We are praising curses or blessings but it is prayer you're right it's the power of words that is something i did not know about most of my life and god was a thing i didn't think people like me would know um there's power so much power in our words and the manifestation it's it works there's logical processes that can explain how our thoughts and words create what is real. They don't teach children that in school, though. They don't. They, they don't. They kill imagination. So there's a little test uh, people do. So if I, uh, I'll practice the test on you, Mr. Talcott, uh, and I'll just do it in a kind and generous way. So uh, I'll play through the examples. Oh, hold on, my dogs are going to interrupt this show. Maybe perhaps they're getting excited. But Mr. Talcott, I'd ask you, what are 10 ways a pencil can be used? 10 ways a pencil can be used. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, writing, um, hopefully erasing perhaps, um, as a weapon, as a... Um, as a tool, but not very useful. I don't know that I could come up with 10 things. So you're a product of public education. So a child with pure imagination will tell you a pencil can be used as a hat, as a boat, yeah. as a shirt, as yeah. you, know, you just, you just make shit up, right? You're uh, right. A pencil can be a closet. A pencil can mm -hmm. be, um, a pencil can be anything. That is the reality of imagination. Right. So, Thank you. Uh, and people kill that idea of imagination and the reality of what things can be because they make everything concrete. A pencil is for writing. Yeah. Right? But a pencil could be uh, a ship, uh, a plane, a uh, it be whatever we it, want it. To it be. could be an ocean. There's a, there's a pen, a pencil that's an ocean and, and, you know, orca wells and sharks live in it, but dolphins don't. And the pencil's caved in and the lead is drawn out and there's water inside the pencil. And you just keep expanding your imagination. And we are all victims, I would say, to the reality that our imagination has been, uh, I would say, circumcised. It's might, it might not be the best word, but I been, love it. It's been cut short, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's the reality of it. So, um, you know, it, it is a difficult thing to sometimes think what things are, 
right? So when people say, think like what, when I'm going to do a callback, this is a high level thing. When I do a callback of what hate is, right? People have concreted themselves into what hate is, right? And they're not open-minded into the creativity into what hate can be, right? Um, so I'll leave that to you. Uh, we're about uh, 15 minutes away from the next segment. And this last 15 minutes, I usually engage in a, uh, I hate to dead name myself, but a Provo Kid topic, but I'll let you choose the last topic. And then I will end the show uh, with, uh, if you, after you choose your topic with a few questions. Okay. I'm you not following. Sorry, you can respond to what I said, right? Okay. Uh, with the imagination and that yes. topic. And then uh, if you have something else you'd like to speak upon, uh, that can be the topic for the remainder of the 15 minutes. And then I also have a set aside uh, Provo Kid topics uh, that I usually engage my audience with. I love it. I love how you roll. Um, imagination. I loved, I'm going to, I'm going to borrow what you, what I learned from you. The circumcision of our imagination. I can't think of a better way to describe it. That is what the society has done, created these limits and scars upon it perhaps <laughs> and i appreciate the demonstration you used with me too you're absolutely right imagination is the path to understanding and i think for the topic i'd love to discuss is compassion that which unites us i think that's the right term compassion is what our world has been lacking. The fear and the hate create these reasons why we're, why others or ourselves have been unforgivable. Well, unforgiveness brings the resentment and the hopelessness and the, the divisions that keep us unsettled. And if we can find ways to be grateful for ourselves, be grateful for each other. I know this world's going to change. We're part of it. I'm not sure if that's where you wanted to land, Provo, but. No, I actually, sorry, I actually have a little bit of pushback on All right. compassion. So I think compassion has become compulsory, right? So where people okay. are compulsed to be compassionate for things that are irrational. Mm -hmm. And then it, creates a society of, of weakness, but in general, right? Uh, I am in agreement with having compassion for most things, but when you have too much compassion for anything, it becomes, I think a passive society. Uh, but in, in general, I agree with you and I'm in great sentiment with being compassionate for people, for nature, for, uh, your environment around you. And I'm an, I would say an advocate for that. Um, but my contention comes with compulsory compassion to where you're being compulsed to be compassionate with something that against your ideals or your beliefs where a, a society is telling you, uh, for example, you need to be compassionate towards Israel or Palestine. Pick or choose. Who are you going to be compassionate for? Right. Um, and, and then it becomes difficult, right? Because you're a good guy or a bad guy. Because um, how can you be compassionate towards both? Uh, Israelis and Palestinians. Um, and if you are, then you're a fence sitter and then you really don't mean anything. Um, 
So, but I'm in agreement with you. I'll, I'll kick it back to you. Respect. And I, I, I absolutely no disagreements with anything you said. I, and I understand the, uh, the, the caution towards offering compassion and accepting people for how they are is we can start enabling. And I think that's what you're, you're offering. We don't want to enable and we don't want people to become, I don't know what I mean by compassion. And, and with, even with the Israel Palestine, I do have compassion for both sides. I'm not sitting on a fence though. I think both sides, they need help. Um, Agreed. I don't know. This world, brother, it's an interesting and amazing place. There's a lot of mystery and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of reasons for despair and anger and hate. But man, it feels good to love. It really does. You're right about that, Jack Talcott. And I think compassion is necessary for love, right? And I think we should have compassion, like you said, for both sides, right? And the problem is, uh, and to piggyback what you said is, people are telling you who to be compassionate for. Uh, you can't be compassionate for both sides. But I think, you know, like, like I said before, my compassion shouldn't be compulsory. So I think I should be able to be compassionate for Israelis and Palestinians, right? I should be compassionate for Jews and Muslims. And yeah. even though some might hate me, some might like me, I as a human can be compassionate for both sides, right? Um, and we're approaching uh, 10 minutes left, and I'd like to introduce the last segment. So I used to be known as Provo Kid. And uh, part of that is, for those who don't know, Provo Kid is, it's a, it's a word that means provoked. So I'm supposed to be provoking. I'm supposed to provoke people. And the, part of that is a play on words where the last part is kid, right? So Jack Talcott, you were once a kid, right? And uh, this segment that I've done with some of my interviewees or interviewers rather is uh, I'd like to know uh, one of your favorite things you did as a kid with your friends or the people around you that uh, you really enjoy or recall. So, for example, for me, I played night games as a child. I played kick the can or mafia or different activities. But what's something you might have done as a kid that uh, you really enjoyed or had fun with? Memories of taking off in the woods, exploring, um, sometimes on bicycles, one time on a three-wheeler, <laughs> and uh, I found myself crossing the border up into Canada one time when I was a little kid. <laughs> I used to love it. Um, and, and friends along the way, too. A lot of fond memories playing out in the woods and uh, tree houses and forts. Oh, so you answered one of my next questions, tree houses. That's really cool. Uh, so you had a tree house. Let me just expand upon that. What was your tree house like? Oh, my, it wasn't mine. It was the neighbors. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't remember a lot of times in it, but I remember getting pushed off of it. <laughs> Jeez. It hurt, but uh, life is funny. 
So you had some uh, difficult moments, some ups and downs as a kid, uh, but I like to focus on the positive. Um, what was one of the best gifts? And we're, we're around Christmas. Uh, what, can you recall one of your favorite gifts you received as a child or as a young adolescent or kid that you got for Christmas? I don't know. Probably a bicycle. Man, when I was a kid, that's what I was always out on my bike. <laughs> all day long so i'm sure that was probably one of the best you know what i love that answer because a bicycle is like uh for a kid a car right it gives freedom <laughs> it gives expansion so uh as a kid where what, what are some of the places you like to you would uh or you did like to visit uh when you went out on your bike well i grew up in the in the middle of the mountains so i there is a lake about 12 miles away that you know, when I was, when I was over, I don't know, 13 or 14, that's where I'd head, head out to the lake. Um, otherwise, just riding the logging trails and uh, I don't know. Anyway, I'm probably not the best type of those type of questions. Uh, it's unfortunate because these types of questions are the Provo kid questions, right? Because we're trying to tap into your kid, right? Like, who are you as a kid? Because you're trying to, you know, uh, you know, sometimes it's uh, you're a child of God. Like, what does it mean to be a kid? Some of these memories might, I think, if you look into them, are uh, beneficial to share with people for posterity, right? Because a lot of people won't understand the meaning of a bike because they have the internet now, right? So you needed a bike to escape, uh, yeah. I would say in some sense, your environment. But people don't need a bike anymore, Mr. Talcott. They just have their phone and their tablet. So I ask these questions because it's, it's a testimony to posterity of how people like me and you used to live as a child or as a kid. And I think, you know, they're difficult to ask, sometimes difficult to answer. But it is important, at least in my segment of my show, to look back on your youth and your childhood and answer some of these questions because I'll say this, your answers aren't going to be the same as anybody born after 2001. No, that is for sure. And brother, my childhood, I am, I think, I do think my life may have a lot of messages and meanings. There's an incredible story in this life I've lived. And the beginning, it's kind of an overlap of the old and the new, because we grew up, my folks were kind of not necessarily homesteaders, but we were out in the woods for a reason, and it was to get away from people. <laughs> and um, so what I'm thinking, what I'm remembering is outhouses, you know, no indoor right. plumbing and, um, you know, wood stove for, for heat. Wow. And, uh, People need to hear this, Mr. Talcott. Like, yeah. like you might not think these little things are important, but I think for posterity to even remember, like I grew up with a grandma who constantly told me she didn't have a TV, right? Like when right. she was born, when she grew up, but like, uh, as we pass down our stories and our moments, most of the time from panels and discussions, we're always talking about the present moment. And it's great to be in the present moment, but if we don't help the posterity, remember what, excuse me, our childhood was like, there's going to be a gap, right? So uh, I think it's important to share that you had an outhouse and you lived in the woods and things were different, right? Things had to be different. 
And people need to know that, right? And there was a time, for example, when I grew up, parents didn't have cell phones. Kids didn't have cell phones. I grew up in a world, Mr. Talcott, where people were constantly present and they weren't told to be present. They just were. You know what I mean? Now being present is actually meaningful because there's so many distractions that you, you know, it's, it's an actual action to take, to be present. But when I was a kid, I feel like everybody was present. There was no other choice. Did you have a newspaper or TV on? Maybe you weren't present, but otherwise you had to deal with what was in front of you. Holy cows. That is true. There were a lot less distractions in those days, but I don't know if people were present. Maybe. Well, tell me how they might not have been. My life saw a lot of fighting and stuff. So it's not really people who are present when when they're looping and stuff like that. That's terrible. So they're not present in the moment. They're present in past actions or people's behaviors that were in the past. And I'm in agreement with that. And that's something that I think is transcendent throughout all generations and carries that's... through no matter what. And people need to work through those problems and those issues. And I think that's what we're here to do. I really do. My, my hope and faith for humanity at this time we're at, there's this is a time there's this is an interesting time for us to be sharing with the developments of technology and science at the same time the beating of the war drums and the growing censorship the growing divisions between everything it's an interesting time to live it is mr talcott and i'm going to ask you one more question right about your childhood so um uh, and if you could help me at all, maybe you don't need to, but, uh, when you look back at your childhood, um, so I'm going to relate this question to new age prop, not new age. That's the wrong word. Postmodernism propaganda, where, uh, the idea of having a best friend is exclusionary. Um, did you have best friends growing up or people you looked to growing up who you hung out in a clique? And if so, what were some activities you engaged in? Pog, marbles, going to the arcade. What were some things you did with your best friends? That's interesting. I didn't really, I really didn't have close connections because we moved around so much when I was young. Um, but the friends that I do remember, I do remember having having a few close friends. Um, and marbles remembered playing marbles in the playground um and then most of my memories with my friends are like i said out riding the bikes exploring the woods being in nature being in tune with being God. In nature. Yes. and i i love that jack talcott and thank you for entertaining we're approaching uh, we got one minute left so we're done with the show uh i'd like you to close out on your I'm going to give you as much time as you want. I'd suggest you to monologue or say anything you want or just plug your show. This is going to Spotify, iTunes, and multiple podcast platforms that are not on YouTube. So there are you are going to reach people you have not reached, Mr. Talcott. Um, so the time is yours. I'm going to turn the floor to you. Uh, again, thank you for everybody for listening. 
Uh, it's been a blessing. Uh, thank you, Mr. Talcott, for being on the show. Uh, great honor. And if I'll, I'll just plug you real quick. Jack Talcott on YouTube. That's J-A-C-K. Uh, then Talcott, T-A-L-C-O-T-T. Um, go ahead and give him a look. But Mr. Talcott, I turn the floor to you. You have the closing words. <laughs> Blessings. Brother, what an absolute honor. I respect and appreciate you hosting this, allowing this to happen, you know, working through the challenges of doing a stream and the unlikely probability that someone like me can can help keep your viewers and, and your subscribers entertained. So I hope, I hope I helped with that. And for those who might be interested, yes, uh, Jack Talcott on uh, the social medias, particularly on YouTube, but um, I do try and share inspiration, written stuff too on occasion. But as far as closing, my gratitude, my gratitude is strong and I'll allow my humility to be strong as well. Um, I have great hope and faith for all of us, all of us in the future. With that, peace and love. Thank you, Provo. Thank you, Brother Talcott. I'm going to now uh, remove you from the stream. It's nothing personal, but it's over. And uh, here we are. Uh, it's the Provo Kid Podcast. Fuck, I dead name myself. It's the Provo Planet Podcast, everybody. Um, it's unfortunate I dead name myself. But I do that sometimes. All right. Uh, Jack Talcott was amazing. I couldn't be more grateful for a guest like him. And again, every two weeks I run this show and there is always an opportunity for anybody to come up on the panel and do a one-on-one -on -one podcast. So very thankful for Jack to have a conversation with me uh, and discuss the topics we did. Uh, it's amazing. So you can find this show. If you're already listening on Spotify and iTunes, just go check out Jack Talcott, Instagram, YouTube, and whatever it might be, we're going to end on just some of the music we started with. And all I got to say is thank you to everybody listening. If you're watching on Spotify, appreciate it because that's kind of strange. You you watch the <laughs> you watch it on your phone or whatever you might watch it on. But uh, many blessings to you all. Um, let's see what song we're going to end on. Uh, we will play. What are we going to play? We're going to play this song. God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Talcott. I'll be back.
Welcome back. You guys might have thought the show's over. It ain't fucking over. I just modded Shamu. Shamu, you're a mod. And if any, hey, let me pause the music. Hey, on the real, on the real, people like don't mod. If you don't want to mod, if you want to mod, ask me. Some people don't like mods. Shamu, if you want to be unmodded. And if other people want mods, ask me. The rule is on my channel, people don't get banned. I ban them. But if you want a mod to promote your channel, Shamu, the, the links I just posted in chat, in chat are content creators. So I modded Shamu. Shamu's a legend. Uh, is there anybody else? I don't know. Oh, hey, I should, I should mod Radio Foreman. He's my favorite streamer. I love Radio Foreman, man. <laughs> Fuck, dude, I didn't end recording.